welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Well, good morning. Good to see you here today. Trust the Lord's um, blessing in your life and <clears throat> encouragement today. I do say I miss our... <clears throat> Um, being closer together like we were last Sunday at uh, Daniel Kelsey's house. And uh, I think I would encourage you in uh, the future to uh, just come in a little bit uh, closer if you're not uh, afraid of uh, catching something and uh, enjoy um, uh, our fellowship. It's easier for me to uh, see you and easier for you to see me, I think, and hear hear each other in the singing as well. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to continue uh, studying God's Word. We've been working through the book of Ephesians, and, uh, and we've come to uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, that deals with uh, the family, and specifically the roles within the, the family, the husband-wife relationship, and then he talks about the um, parent-child relationship, and then also... The, the slave and master relationship, it would uh, apply to us in our employer-employee relationship. And so we're going to be looking at that. And this morning, I've, I'm going to um, break from um, a strictly exegetical message and uh, give a bit of a, some introductory thoughts to the marriage relationship. And so we're going to be spending... Uh, much of our time in the book of Genesis. So if you want to find your place in Genesis this morning, we're going to be looking at really the very beginning there, chapter 1-2, at God's design for marriage. And so that is, a, that is our theme this morning. And we're going to be primarily going back and seeing what God had originally intended. Because what you find is that uh, through the scripture, uh, God will, through his, <clears throat> the instrument of his uh, prophets and uh, in the New Testament uh, writers, will refer back to the, the creation account if they're describing marriage and talking about God's plan and even Christ himself referred back to this record that we have in chapter 2 of Genesis. So we're going to be looking there this morning. Well, have you ever bought something and didn't pay too much attention to the label that says some assembly required? I can... Think back to when our boys were very young, and uh, seems inevitable that on a Christmas Eve, that after the, you know, you get the children to bed, there's something you want to uh, put together or open up. And when you get into it, you realize this is a bigger job than I realized. <laughs> there's there's more assembly required than I anticipated, or maybe it's one of those DIY kits that you uh, can buy, and it has instructions and maybe a a chart that shows you how everything's supposed to go, 
And those instructions are usually from China or somewhere. And so you, you really, you just, you just, I don't need that. And it can't be that hard or, you know, I'll just, I'll just figure it out as I go. <clears throat> and then when you get through, there's some extra pieces left over. <laughs> and you think, well, it's probably not that important anyway. Uh, well, I think in, uh, we've all experienced that, at least most of the men have, I think, with uh, instructions and the uh, frustration of having to go back and, and uh, redo something and actually look at the instructions to see uh, what, uh, what you're supposed to do. Well, marriage uh, should come with the label, not some assembly required, but much assembly required. It, it, is, uh, it is to build a marriage uh, requires effort and work and ongoing effort and work. It's not something that you can just say, well, that's done and now I can just sit back and, and uh, do nothing. It is, a, is an ongoing effort on our part in trusting God as a husband and wife to, uh, to enjoy uh, the Lord's blessing in that relationship. But I find that uh, many couples enter into marriage with the attitude uh, like the DIY kit, we'll just figure it out as we go. And many times, sadly, they have no idea of what God expects or what God's plan is for marriage. And even worse than that, some couples do know something of what God expects or what God's plan is, but they decide to ignore it and just do their own thing and to uh, do things according to their own wisdom. And that wisdom is usually the, the, the wisdom of the day, man's wisdom, the, the pervading ideas and opinions about how life should be lived. And, uh, and we're seeing the fallout of that, uh, of that culture, of that way of thinking on the, and, the, and the destruction and the harm that comes with that. Well, this morning I want us to, <clears throat> to come away uh, from the service this morning with the certainty that God does have a plan for marriage. But not only that, but that we would have a commitment to that plan, to his design, that we, whether we're already married or, or maybe if you're, you're contemplating married or maybe you're in a situation where you're not going to be thinking about getting married, but you may have uh, someone that uh, you can counsel someone that would come to you and ask you about what do you think. And so this, this instruction is for all of us uh, this morning. It seems that in the last few years that Satan has multiplied his efforts to destroy the family. If you see what's happening around us, the ideas and the, and the uh, thoughts that are being promoted as it relates to uh, the family, in marriage in particular, uh, there's, a, there's a movement to, to basically do away with marriage. And uh, certainly in many people's minds, it, there's a very low view of the marriage relationship. We, if you turn on the, the TV or the shows and movies that are being produced today, you see this concentrated effort to uh, promote that which is immoral and to... Uh, promote dysfunctionality in the family, or at least put this dysfunctionality of the relationships as a positive thing in many cases. 
and uh, they have promoted <clears throat> that which in the past uh, the majority of people that are around us would have recognized as evil or wrong. But today, the morality that in the past was accepted as good and normal has been turned upside down, hasn't it? And so we're finding this uh, effort around us to, <clears throat> to, to destroy, to dismantle uh, that which God has proclaimed to be good and has blessed. Uh, if you go back into Isaiah chapter 5, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to show you a, a verse from there. But in that, in that chapter, God is pronouncing woes upon, upon Israel, upon the, uh, the fact that they had turned away from God. They had rejected his way for their own way. And in, from verse 20 and 21, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, and who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. And we see that today, that very thing. And it is... Um, not surprising to see that in the world. That's really what we should expect from the world. The world does not know God and doesn't have a desire to, to serve God or follow God, and, and certainly not a, uh, not, not a desire to do things that God's way. But it, it is surprising when we see those who claim to be believers, those who, who name the name of Christ and turn away from God's standard, turn away from God's word and God's values of morality and what's right. And it's just like the nation of Israel did. These people who claim to be followers of God, and God is pronouncing woes upon them because they had turned God's morality upside down, turned it on its head, and was calling that which is evil good and good evil. Well, we as the church should be the people who demonstrate God's values. We should be modeling the design that he has given us for marriage and the family. Last week, we were looking at uh, verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, and we, we look there at the uh, characteristics of a spirit-filled life. And one of those was a submissive heart. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And a submissive heart, uh, submitting to one another, it really begins with that submission to God, doesn't it? And he implies that with the statement, out of reverence for Christ. That, that word there, phobos, is, is the word fear. But the fear he's talking about here is not the crippling kind of fear, but a, but a profound respect and recognition for who God is. And because of that reverence for Christ, we, we, are, we submit to him and we submit to one another. And he's going to move to apply that principle to the marriage relationship in verse 22 and following. Well, for us as believers... Uh, marriage is not just about us, is it? Uh, just like every part of life for the believer, Christ is 
to be central. He is our main focus. Uh, for us as believers, we must find our happiness, our contentment, our joy, our fulfillment in him. And when a man and a woman, believers in Christ, have that attitude, then they are ready to commit to each other. They are ready to live together as one for the Lord. But as long as, as we are focusing on what I want and what's good for me, what pleases me, um, there's going to be problems in any relationship, isn't there? And so the Lord calls us to, to look to him and to follow him. Well, first of all, I want us to see this morning is that marriage is ordained by God. Marriage is ordained by God. And by, by that, I mean God established it. It's, it's not an idea that man came up with. And that's what some people today think, that this thing of marriage is just an outdated construct of man, something that, that man has thought up. And if that were true then it would be perfectly normal to evaluate it and to decide if it's still a good idea or to change it, uh, change the long-held values to fit into modern-day society. But it's not, a, it's not something that man's devised. This is God's plan, God's establishment. Uh, notice with me in Genesis chapter 2. We begin reading of the section there from verse 18. And in chapter 2, you, you, most of you realize that God is going back and describing in detail events that he recorded in chapter 1 of the creation. And uh, here he's looking specifically on that sixth day, the creation of man. And he says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to, the, to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Then the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, uh, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has taken out, she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. <clears throat> this morning, and really throughout our Christian life, we need to renew our minds. And we do that by the Word of God. And the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and, and changes us. He, he molds us and he, 
He changes our thinking. By the fact that we are in the world, the fact that we're living in the world means that we are being influenced by the world. Uh, Paul warns in Romans 12 that we should not be molded by the world or that we should stop, be, stop being conformed to this world, but that we would be renewed in our minds. And, and so through God's word, our minds are renewed, and we need to renew our minds as we think about marriage because if, if all the information that we're getting about marriage is coming from the world, then we are not going to be able to think biblically about marriage. The way that we talk, in other words, our attitudes, the way that we act and, th and think and talk about marriage is going to impact others. It impacts our children and the next generation that comes along. And so that if we are uh, always uh, having negative jokes about marriage, for example, or if we're talking about our spouse in a negative way, then that's going to impact how others think about marriage. We as God's children need to be modeling what God thinks about marriage and having the attitudes that, that he does so that we are contributing to a healthy view of marriage, a high view of the marriage relationship. Because marriage is ordained by God, marriage is a good thing. Amen? It is a good thing. And those of us that uh, have uh, a relationship where both husband and wife love the Lord and are committed to uh, serving the Lord together, we know the joy of that relationship. It is a, it is a relationship that God can bless and use, and we can know of his plan that he had from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, 31, uh, the Bible says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then in chapter 2, verse 22, we, we, we see the, read about the gift that God gave to Adam, the woman that, that became known as Eve. This was God's plan, and it was very good. But as you continue to read into chapter 3, you, you realize that sin came into the world through their disobedience, and it affected everything, didn't it? It everything for them and everything for us because that sin passed to us. Uh, and we were born with that sin nature. And it affects everything. And Adam and Eve soon realized that although marriage was still a good thing, that immediately their relationship would now have to be maintained with difficulty, with effort. You read in chapter 3 and verse 12, when God uh, speaks to Adam and, and he, he wants to know, what have you done? Have you, have you eaten of the fruit that I told you not to? And what does Adam do? He says, the woman you gave me. <laughs> he, did, he immediately just turns on his wife. And you see that you gave me in there. It, when she was the only woman, there's no other. 
<laughs> he didn't need to. He didn't need to tell God this is the one that you gave me. No, you see, a, he's not only blaming Eve, but he's blaming God. And so now, trust had turned to doubt, and selfish, uh, selflessness had turned to selfishness, and unity and transparency had now become blaming. And we all struggle with the impact of sin upon our relationships as believers, whether it's in the, the marriage relationship or with our, with our parents or children or between siblings or whether it's with a friend or our brother and sister in Christ. All of our relationships are affected by sin. And we, as believers, we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And as we submit to his will and walk with him, in fellowship with him, obeying him, he enables us by his power to have godly relationships. We can enjoy the blessing of all of our relationship and especially the marriage relationship. But it, it does require, as I said in the beginning, ongoing effort. Because just like our relationship with the Lord requires an ongoing day-by-day -day effort that we are committed to him, that we are walking with him, uh, so too in our relationships require that effort. Because by our nature, what do we do? We default to selfishness and pride and arrogance and all of the things that destroy relationships. And so we are constantly having to acknowledge our sin. We have to repent and turn away from it. And we have to confess it and ask for forgiveness. And then get back in step with the Lord. And we can get back in step in our relationships, can't we? And so that's what God expects from us. And that's what God requires of us. And that which he has planned. And especially for the marriage relationship. A second thing I want us to notice is that marriage is a covenant with each other and with God. In Proverbs 2, we see the warning there against the adulterous woman. And in verse 17, she is described as one who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. You see, when we are married, we make we call it vows, our beloftas, in, uh, in the ceremony. And um, I think sometimes uh, married couples, they just go through the motions on those and don't even think about what they're actually committing. Or they may be saying the words and know what they mean, but they don't really have an intention of keeping them. Or maybe they don't realize how serious a matter this promise is because if they're uh, if they've asked a pastor to conduct this service and they claim to be believers they're making these promises before the Lord let me just uh, rehearse that for you the the groom's vow says do you solemnly promise before God and these witnesses that you will love honor and cherish her and that forsaking all others, for her alone, you will be faithful to her so long as you both shall live. That's, pretty, that's, a, that's a pretty strong promise, isn't it? It's a promise for life. 
It's a promise before the Lord. And the bride, do you solemnly promise before God and these witnesses that you will love, honor, and respect him, and that forsaking all others for him alone, you will be faithful to him so long as you both shall live? You see, the Lord is witness to these promises. And the breaking of the covenant that we establish in marriage is a very serious matter. And society today around us, if we listen to friends, if we listen to Facebook, or if we, if we, are, if we imbibe the, the attitude that we see on TV, we will say, oh well, it's not that serious. It's not that big a deal. We can just find somebody else. You see, God knows us. He knows that we live in a broken world. And he knows that some of you have experienced the heartache and the heartbreak of divorce. And we know that God is a, is a compassionate God. He's a loving God. And, and I certainly don't want to add to your burden because you know the heartbreak of divorce. But I do want to warn others that are listening this morning and maybe, maybe listen later about the, that heartbreak. Uh, the Lord is gracious and full of mercy, and he certainly forgives us when we come to him and we confess our sin and our failures. And the same is true for the marriage relationship, but uh, there's also consequences many times that follow us, and, um, and we have to live with those by God's grace. Through his help, we can. But... The heartache and the hurt is one of the reasons that God hates divorce. And one of the reasons that uh, he warns us as he does. Another reason the Lord hates divorce is the impact it has upon children and the raising of a heritage unto the Lord. Um, we as God's people must not lose sight of God's plan for the family what he wants to accomplish through our marriage and through the, the raising of our children to love him and to serve him. God calls us to have a high view of marriage and, and, and to re realize that the family is, the, is foundational to the success of the church and of society. Uh, God has given the, the family uh, to, um, to honor uh, himself to build the church, to have a, a stable society. And you look everywhere where the family values are lost and you see a society that goes downhill. Uh, and you see churches in trouble where the, 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 the values that God has established for marriage and the family are forgotten or they've been minimalized they're not held to God's standard. And so God calls us to that, that we would, that we would view marriage as, as a most holy institution that he has established. And that, we, that those of us who are married would, would guard it, that we would cherish it and acknowledge it as the gift of God. In Malachi chapter 2, this is... You know, the last book in the Old Testament, it's uh, um, really the last voice from the Lord 
for until the New Testament period, some 400 years. In Malachi 2, there's a pronouncement of indictment against Judah. And Judah had become unfaithful to the Lord and to the covenant of the Lord and to the covenant of their marriage, marriages. And he's speaking to the men. And he's pronouncing this indictment against them because they were taking wives of unbelievers, women who were uh, worshiping the, the idols, and, and God had warned them that it would, just like it did with Solomon, it drew his heart away from God. And the Lord has warned them about that. And, then he also, and also, evidently, these, these men were divorcing their wives so that they could take the pagan wives. And in Malachi chapter 2, he warns in verse 14 and 15, but you say, and, and what he's talking about there, God had, had stopped accepting their offerings. In other words, he wasn't blessing them. He was rejecting their worship. In verse 14, but you say, why does he not? In other, in other words, why is he not accepting our offerings? And he says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did not he make them one? You see, he's going back to God's original plan. The first marriage, with Adam and Eve. Did not God make them one with the portion of the Spirit in their union? God's involved in that union with them. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So God is warning them and calling them to examine their hearts and to guard their hearts and to make sure that they are not being faithless, that they are being faithful to their wives. And obviously, the same would be true of the wives to the husbands. But in this instance, he's, he's putting the finger on the men because they're the ones that were in, in the position of power and ability and privilege and responsibility and where whether it's whether the the privilege is given by god or by society or or however that we've been given more influence and more ability more power we have a greater responsibility don't we god has given leadership of the home to men to the husbands and with that comes a greater responsibility and as men don't, let, don't depend on your wife to be the spiritual leader in the home. Don't look to her to raise your children to love God. You take the lead. You take the lead to make sure that your home is honoring to the Lord. That, that everything, it's not that you do everything, certainly not. But the responsibility falls on you first and foremost. And so by God's grace, we are able to... Uh, we are able to have these marriages that please the Lord. The answer to divorce 
is not less commitment. That's the road that we see taken today. Uh, just living together. We see many young couples' attitude today is just to live together without a promise or without a commitment. And this thinking that we see today is, uh, is, is a little bit like the DIY illustration. We'll just try it and, and see how it goes. Uh, it's it's kind of like buying, buying something with a 30-day money-back guarantee. We'll just try it out, see how it works. That's not the answer to divorce. The answer to divorce is for um, men and women who love the Lord and commit themselves to the Lord and to each other. And, and say that come high water or difficulty or trouble, whatever may come, I'm staying faithful to the Lord and to my commitment. And so that's the attitude that we need. This mentality, as the Lord has given us, and we must devote ourselves to him first and foremost, above everything and everyone else. And as we do that, God is, is able to bless us, not only in the marriage relationship, but in all of our relationships that we, that we have. Wherever we have difficulty with relationships, the first place that we should look is in our own heart. And say, Lord, what are you, what are you trying to teach me? What, are you, what do you want me to learn? Am I, am I reacting to this the way you want me to? Our, our flesh looks to the other person and says, if they didn't do that, I wouldn't have done that. But God wants us to look first and foremost at our own heart, make sure we're right with him, make sure we're seeking his will, and that we've committed ourselves to him for our joy, for our contentment, for our peace. We can't expect somebody else to do that for us. Uh, our relationship with God should be one that um, enables us to know the joy of the Lord. And then when we're walking with him in that joy, then the other relationships he gives us is just a blessing on top of that. And until we're able to walk with, with the Lord in the joy of a relationship with him, we're not ready for the commitment of marriage. And we, we're not in a position to be, um, uh, to be responsible to someone else and committed to someone else on the level of, of marriage. And so uh, God wants to work, do a work in our hearts first and foremost. Well, thirdly, I want to... I want us to notice that, that in this marriage relationship, there is diversity and unity that, that is part of, of God's plan. In Genesis 1, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in, in Genesis 2, verse 18, he says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the, the woman that God gave to Adam was not the same as Adam. He, he certainly wasn't another man. That's absurd, isn't it? And we live in an absurd time in our day. But he was not the, Eve was not the same, but fit or compatible to Adam. Uh, they were both made in the image and the likeness of God. 
They were equal before God, but they're not the same. The man and woman are not the same. They, they, they were slightly different physically, obviously, but more than that, they're different in the way they think and their emotions and in just many ways that God made men and women differently. And it was very good, right? Sometimes that diversity we joke about, and, um, and many times we, we think that it's not a blessing because we struggle with the differences that we find in our husband or our wife, and we can't understand why they think the way they think or do what they do. But we must remember that that difference is a gift from God. It, it creates trouble for us sometimes, diversity, whether it's in our marriage or other relationships, that difference in other people, the way, way they are, the way they think. We struggle with that sometimes. And because of our flesh, we, we you know, butt heads sometimes with that diversity. But in the marriage relationship, we need to embrace that difference and commit ourselves to loving that person and commit ourselves to loving God. And you'll find that that difference is a strength. Uh, it's a strength for you because the Lord knows that you need that difference. <laughs> um, Adam needed a wife. Uh, God hasn't, hasn't committed everyone to that, um, uh, to that need to have a husband or wife. But for the most part, we need uh, that companionship, that relationship, and as Adam was busy naming the animals, he, he realized that God had, had given the animals in pairs. Uh, but he didn't have any, he didn't have anyone like him. And so God blessed him. And he blessed him with a perfect, uh, a perfect difference <laughs> to complement him and what God had called him to be and to do. And, and as we um, now, all these years later, we, we see the struggles, we experience the struggles of life and difficulty, and if you have the blessing of having a wife or a husband who, who, who loves the Lord and wants to live for the Lord, you can rejoice in that, in that relationship. Unfortunately, uh, many times uh, husbands or wives don't have the blessing of having, having a spouse who, who loves the Lord, who, who, who knows the Lord, or, or at least wants to, to live for the Lord. And so it calls for a, a measure of God's grace and strength. And we need to be praying for each other, and especially for, uh, for those in those situations that God can use you and bless you to be what God wants you to be in, in that relationship. In Genesis 2.24, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
Well, there's diversity. There's this unity that God had designed for the relationship. Quickly notice, uh, first of all, that they're, the, the man is to leave the parents. And um, I, I think the leaving phys- physically is a, is a healthy thing. But here primarily he's, he's talking about the emotional and the relational leaving. Uh, in other words, when, a, when a, a young couple get married, they form a new family, a new unit. They're no longer under this umbrella of the parents. Uh, hopefully there's a good relationship with the parents and they can still re, you know, interact with them. And, and, but they are now uh, in a, established a new home. There's a new headship in the home. The husband is now... Uh, before God, the leader of the home, and there's a, their primary relationship and primary responsibility is now to each other, not back to mom or dad. And the Bible certainly teaches us to, to, uh, to still have respect and honor for parents, but the responsibility in that relationship is now shifted to each other. And so, um, uh, so the wife shouldn't be um, going back to parents and telling, you know, what their husband's done, and you know, and, and uh, clinging to that as a primary relationship. The husband shouldn't be talking about how how mom used to do it, you know, and she does makes food this way and that way. <laughs> and that's a, no, that that's you have a new primary uh, relationship. And a, and a new responsibility to that wife and mothers, you have to let them go. And more than that, you have to prepare them to go. Um, parents um, need to prepare their children to become a husband, to become a wife, to, to, to take um, responsibility, to, to be adults. And, um, and if, we, if we're preparing them from the time they're very young for that, although it still tugs at the heart, we can, um, we can let them go and not interfere where we shouldn't be interfering uh, and trying to um, tell them everything we know, <laughs> how it should be done, <laughs> although you're tempted to do that. Uh, they have to learn uh, for themselves. Well... Notice also, he says that they are to hold fast to his wife. The husband is to hold fast to his wife. And we sing the song, He Shall Hold Me Fast. Just as the Lord holds us fast, uh, the Lord commanded Adam to hold fast to his wife. That, uh, you've heard me before, compare it to a super glue marriage. One that's permanent. It's not meant to be removed. And with that, that's the attitude, that's the mentality that we must, must have when we approach a marriage relationship. It is a permanent relationship. It's, it's not a press-stick mentality. where it'll, it'll stick as long as we feel like it suits our purpose. Or as long as it, you know, it feels good or it, it seems to work. No, we, has, we must enter with the mentality that, uh, of a total commitment.
You know, when the Pharisees <clears throat> tried to trick Christ on one of the occasions in Matthew 19, <clears throat> they put this question before him about marriage. And he answered, it says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so we see this one flesh emphasis here. And that word is symbolic of more than just the physical relationship. It's symbolic and it speaks of the complete oneness that we are to have in the marriage relationship. A total giving of, of oneself to another. Uh, Wayne Mack in his writings says marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. And so that's the attitude. That's God's design for us, and we need to embrace it as our own. Well, some people think that, that, that marriage is, is outdated, need of, need of change. They want to be confined to such antiquated ideas. But for those of us who know the Lord and love the Lord, we submit ourselves to his plan and to and by his grace, to the best of our ability, we want to live according to his design, according to his plan. We may not be able to change society and the opinions that other people have about a marriage, but we want to guard our own thinking about marriage. We want to make sure that our minds are not swayed by the influence of the world, but that we have committed ourselves to the Lord. And although sin has corrupted God's design, because of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross for us, we as believers are able to go in the power of God, in the enablement of God by his grace, so that our marriage, our relationships can be what God intended them to be. And our families can be families that are a testimony to the praise and the honor and the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. And we realize that if we have a, a marriage that is functional, it's because of your grace. And we know, Lord, that there's so many uh, things in the world today that would uh, tear us apart and to draw us away from your plan. And we pray for your strength that we might day by day cherish that which we have and commit to building it up for your honor and glory. We pray for some here today who are, are aching because of the brokenness that they've experienced in their own life and marriage relationships and um, loss. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them and you would um, give them grace that they might find their joy, find their contentment in a relationship with you and walk with you and um, allow you, Father, to be all that they need. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we would seek to walk with you and to follow you. We pray for, for some that may be contemplating marriage or thinking about the possibility in the future 
of a husband or a wife. I pray, Father, that they would be committed to your plan, that they would not allow the thinking of the world, thinking of their own, their own wisdom and their own emotional desires to uh, lead them astray, but that they, they would be committed to uh, a husband or to a wife that loves you and make sure that they are seeking your will first and foremost above everything else. And so, Father, it is with this heart and this desire that we, we call upon you today to help us as a people, as a church, to love you and to exalt to the position that you've given the place of marriage and the place of family and that we might see it for what the way you do. We might honor it the way you do. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thy blood hath 